Book Seventeen, Chapters Seventeen through Twenty-Four of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by Saint Augustine of Hippo, Book Seventeen. Chapter Seventeen. Just as in that psalm also where Christ is most openly proclaimed as priest, even as he is here as king, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That Christ sits on the right hand of God the Father is believed, not seen. That his enemies also are put under his feet doth not yet appear. It is being done, therefore it will appear at last. Yea, this is now believed, afterward it shall be seen. But what follows, the Lord will send forth the rod of thy strength out of Zion, and rule thou in the midst of thine enemies, is so clear that to deny it would imply not merely unbelief and mistake, but downright impudence. And even enemies must certainly confess that out of Zion has been sent the law of Christ, which we call the gospel, and acknowledge as the rod of his strength. But that he rules in the midst of his enemies, these same enemies among whom he rules themselves bear witness, gnashing their teeth and consuming away, and having power to do nothing against him. Then what he says a little after, the Lord hath sworn, and will not repent, by which words he intimates that what he adds is immutable, Thou art a priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. Who is permitted to doubt of whom these things are said, seeing that now there is nowhere a priesthood and sacrifice after the order of Aaron, and everywhere men offer under Christ as the priest, which Melchizedek showed when he blessed Abraham? Therefore to these manifest things are to be referred, when rightly understood, those things in the same psalm that are set down a little more obscurely, and we have already made known in our popular sermons how these things are to be rightly understood. So also in that where Christ utters through prophecy the humiliation of his passion, saying, They pierced my hands and feet, they counted all my bones, yea, they looked and stared at me. By which words he certainly met his body stretched out on the cross, with the hands and feet pierced and perforated by the striking through of the nails, and that he had in that way made himself a spectacle to those who looked and stared. And he adds, They parted my garments among them, and over my vesture they cast lots. How this prophecy has been fulfilled, the gospel history narrates. Then indeed the other things also which are said there less openly, are rightly understood when they agree with those which shine with so great clearness, especially because those things also which we do not believe is past, but survey as present, are beheld by the whole world, being now exhibited just as they are read of in this very psalm as predicted so long before. For it is there said a little after, all the ends of the earth shall remember, and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before him, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he shall rule the nations. Chapter 18 About his resurrection also the oracles of the Psalms are by no means silent. For what else is it that is sung in his person in the third Psalm, I laid me down, and took a sleep, and I awaked, for the Lord shall sustain me? 
Is there perchance any one so stupid as to believe that the prophet chose to point it out to us as something great that he had slept and risen up, unless that sleep had been death, and that awaking the resurrection, which behooved to be thus prophesied concerning Christ? For in the forty-first psalm also it is shown much more clearly, where in the person of the mediator, in the usual way, things are narrated as if past which were prophesied as yet to come, since these things which were yet to come were in the predestination and foreknowledge of God, as if they were done, because they were certain. He says, Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die, and his name perish? And if he came in to see me, his heart spake vain things, he gathered iniquity to himself, he went out of doors, and uttered it all at once. Against me all mine enemies whisper together, against me do they devise evil, they have planned an unjust thing against me. Shall not he that sleeps also rise again? These words are certainly so set down here, that he may be understood to say nothing else than if he said, Shall not he that died recover life again? The previous words clearly show that his enemies have meditated and planned his death, and that this was executed by him who came in to see, and went out to betray. But to whom does not Judas here occur, who, from being his disciple, became his betrayer? Therefore, because they were about to do what they had plotted, that is, were about to kill him, he, to show them that with useless malice they were about to kill him who should rise again, so adds this verse, as if he said, What vain thing are you doing? What will be your crime will be my sleep. Shall not he that sleeps also rise again? And yet he indicates in the following verses that they should not commit so great an impiety with impunity, saying, Yea, the man of my peace, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, hath enlarged the heel over me, that is, hath trampled me under foot. But thou, he saith, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. Who can now deny this, who sees the Jews, after the passion and resurrection of Christ, utterly rooted up from their abodes by warlike slaughter and destruction? For, being slain by them, he has risen again, and has requited them meanwhile by temporary discipline, save that for those who are not corrected he keeps it in store for the time when he shall judge the quick and the dead. For the Lord Jesus himself, in pointing out that very man to the apostles as his betrayer, quoted this very verse of this psalm, and said it was fulfilled in himself, He that ate my bread enlarged the heel over me. But what he says, in whom I trusted, does not suit the head, but the body. For the Saviour himself was not ignorant of him concerning whom he had already said before, One of you is a devil." but he is wont to assume the person of his members, and to ascribe to himself what should be said of them, because the head and the body is one Christ. Whence that saying in the gospel, I was hungered, and ye gave me to eat. Expounding which, he says, Since ye did it to one of the least of mine, ye did it to me. Therefore he said that he had trusted, because his disciples then had trusted concerning Judas, for he was numbered with the apostles. But the Jews do not expect that the Christ whom they expect will die, therefore they do not think ours to be him whom the law and the prophets announced, but feign to themselves I know not whom of their own, exempt from the suffering of death. 
therefore with wonderful emptiness and blindness they contend that the words we have set down signify not death and resurrection but sleep and awaking again but the sixteenth psalm also cries to them therefore my heart is jocund and my tongue hath exalted moreover my flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou give thine holy one to see corruption who but he that rose again the third day could say his flesh had rested in this hope that his soul not being left in hell but speedily returning to it should revive it that it should not be corrupted as corpses are wont to be which they can in no wise say of david the prophet and king the sixty-eighth psalm also cries out our god is the god of salvation even of the lord the exit was by death what could be more openly said for the God of salvation is the Lord Jesus, which is interpreted Saviour, or Healing One. For this reason this name was given, when it was said before he was born of the Virgin, Thou shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Because his blood was shed for the remission of their sins, it behooved him to have no other exit from this life than death. Therefore, when it had been said, Our God is the God of salvation, immediately it was added, Even of the Lord the exit was by death, in order to show that we were to be saved by his dying. But that saying is marvellous, even of the Lord, as if it was said, Such is that life of mortals, that not even the Lord himself could go out of it otherwise, save through death. Chapter 19 but when the Jews will not in the least yield to the testimonies of this prophecy, which are so manifest, and are also brought by events to so clear and certain a completion, certainly that is fulfilled in them which is written in that psalm which here follows. For when the things which pertain to his passion are prophetically spoken there also in the person of Christ, that is mentioned which is unfolded in the gospel. They gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar for drink." And as it were, after such a feast and dainties in this way given to himself, presently he brings in these words, Let their table become a trap before them, and a retribution, and an offence. Let their eyes be dimmed that they see not, and their back be always bowed down, etc., which things are not spoken as wished for, but are predicted under the prophetic form of wishing. What wonder, then, if those whose eyes are dimmed that they see not, do not see these manifest things? What wonder if those do not look up at heavenly things whose back is always bowed down, that they may grovel among earthly things? For these words transferred from the body signify mental faults. Let these things which have been said about the Psalms, that is, about King David's prophecy, suffice, that we may keep within some bound. But let those readers excuse us who knew them all before, and let them not complain about those perhaps stronger proofs which they know or think I have passed by. CHAPTER Twenty. David, therefore, reigned in the earthly Jerusalem, a son of the heavenly Jerusalem, much praised by the divine testimony. For even his faults are overcome by great piety, through the most salutary humility of his repentance, that he is altogether one of those whom he himself says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. After him Solomon his son reigned over the same whole people, who, as was said before, began to reign while his father was still alive. 
This man, after good beginnings, made a bad end. For indeed prosperity, which wears out the minds of the wise, hurt him more than that wisdom profited him, which even yet is, and shall hereafter be renowned, and was then praised far and wide. He also is found to have prophesied in his books, of which three are received as of canonical authority, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. But it has been customary to ascribe to Solomon other two, of which one is called Wisdom, the other Ecclesiasticus, on account of some resemblance of style, but the more learned have no doubt that they are not his. Yet of old the church, especially the western, received them into authority. In the one of which, called the Wisdom of Solomon, the Passion of Christ is most openly prophesied. For indeed his impious murderers are quoted as saying, let us lie in wait for the righteous, for he is unpleasant to us, and contrary to our works, and he upbraideth us with our transgressions of the law, and objecteth to our disgrace the transgressions of our education. He professeth to have the knowledge of God, and he calleth himself the Son of God. He was made to reprove our thoughts. He is grievous for us even to behold, for his life is unlike other men's, and his ways are different. We are esteemed of him as counterfeits, and he abstaineth from our ways as from filthiness. He extols the latter end of the righteous, and glorieth that he hath God for his father. Let us see, therefore, if his words be true, and let us try what shall happen to him, and we shall know what shall be the end of him. For if the righteous be the Son of God, he will undertake for him, and deliver him out of the hand of those that are against him. Let us put him to the question with contumely and torture, that we may know his reverence, and prove his patience. Let us condemn him to the most shameful death, for by his own sayings he shall be respected. These things did they imagine, and were mistaken, for their own malice hath quite blinded them. But in Ecclesiasticus the future faith of the nations is predicted in this manner. Have mercy upon us, O God, ruler of all, and send thy fear upon all the nations. Lift up thine hand over the strange nations, and let them see thy power. As thou wast sanctified in us before them, so be thou sanctified in them before us, and let them acknowledge thee according as we also have acknowledged thee. For there is not a God beside thee, O Lord. We see this prophecy in the form of a wish and prayer fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But the things which are not written in the canon of the Jews cannot be quoted against their contradictions with so great validity. But as regards those three books which it is evident are Solomon's, and held canonical by the Jews, to show what of this kind may be found in them pertaining to Christ and the Church, demands a laborious discussion, which, if now entered on, would lengthen this work unduly. Yet what we read in the Proverbs of impious men, saying, Let us unrighteously hide in the earth the righteous man, yea, let us swallow him up alive as hell, and let us take away his memory from the earth, let us seize his precious possession, is not so obscure that it may not be understood, without laborious exposition, of Christ and his possession, the church. Indeed, the gospel parable about the wicked husbandman shows that our Lord Jesus himself said something like it. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. In like manner also that passage in this same book, on which we have already touched when we were speaking of the barren woman who hath borne seven, must soon after it 
was uttered have come to be understood of only Christ and the church by those who knew that Christ was the wisdom of God. Wisdom hath builded her an house, and hath set up seven pillars. She hath sacrificed her victims, she hath mingled her wine in the bowl, she hath also furnished her table. She hath sent her servants summoning to the bowl with excellent proclamation, saying, Who is simple, let him turn aside to me. And to the void of sense she hath said, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled for you. Here certainly we perceive that the wisdom of God, that is, the word co-eternal with the Father, hath builded him in house, even a human body in the virgin womb, and hath subjoined the church to it as members to a head, hath slain the martyrs as victims, hath furnished a table with wine and bread, where appears also the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, and hath called the simple and the void of sense, because, as saith the apostle, he hath chosen the weak things of this world, that he might confound the things which are mighty. Yet to these weak ones she saith what follows, Forsake simplicity, that ye may live, and seek prudence, that ye may have life. But to be made partakers of this table is itself to begin to have life. For when he says in another book, which is called Ecclesiastes, there is no good for a man except that he should eat and drink. What can he be more credibly understood to say than what belongs to the participation of this table which the mediator of the New Testament himself, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, furnishes with his own body and blood? For that sacrifice has succeeded all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which were slain as a shadow of that which was to come. Wherefore also we recognize the voice in the fortieth psalm as that of the same mediator speaking through prophecy. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, but a body hast thou perfected for me. Because instead of all these sacrifices and oblations his body is offered, and is served up to the partakers of it. For that this Ecclesiastes, in that sentence about eating and drinking, which he often repeats, and very much commends, does not savour the dainties of carnal pleasures, is made plain enough when he says, It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. And a little after he says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of the simple in the house of feasting. But I think that more worthy of quotation from this book which relates to both cities, the one of the devil, the other of Christ, and to their kings, the devil and Christ. Woe to thee, O land, he says, when thy king is a youth, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in season, in fortitude, and not in confusion. He has called the devil a youth because of the folly and pride and rashness and unruliness and other vices which are wont to abound at that age. But Christ is the son of nobles, that is, of the holy patriarchs, of those belonging to the free city, of whom he was begotten in the flesh. The princes of that and other cities are eaters in the morning, that is, before the suitable hour, because they do not expect the seasonable felicity, which is the true in the world to come, desiring to be speedily made happy with the renown of this world. But the princes of the city of Christ patiently wait for the time of a blessedness that is not fallacious. This is expressed by the words, in fortitude and not in confusion, because hope does not deceive them, of which the apostle says, But hope maketh not ashamed. 
A psalm also saith, For they that hope in thee shall not be put to shame. But now the song of songs is a certain spiritual pleasure of holy minds in the marriage of that king and queen city, that is, Christ and the church. But this pleasure is wrapped up in allegorical veils, that the bridegroom may be more ardently desired, and more joyfully unveiled, and may appear. To whom it is said in this same song, Equity hath delighted thee, and the bride who there hears, Charity is in thy delights. We pass over many things in silence, in our desire to finish this work. CHAPTER Twenty One. The other kings of the Hebrews after Solomon are scarcely found to have prophesied, through certain enigmatic words or actions of theirs, what may pertain to Christ and the church, either in Judah or Israel, for so were the parts of that people styled, when, on account of Solomon's offence, from the time of Rehoboam his son, who succeeded him in the kingdom, it was divided by God as a punishment. The ten tribes, indeed, which Jeroboam the servant of Solomon received, being appointed the king in Samaria, were distinctively called Israel, although this had been the name of that whole people. But the two tribes, namely of Judah and Benjamin, which for David's sake, lest the kingdom should be wholly wrenched from his race, remained subject to the city of Jerusalem, were called Judah, because that was the tribe whence David sprang." but benjamin the other tribe which as was said belonged to the same kingdom was that when saul sprang before david but these two tribes together as was said were called judah and were distinguished by this name from israel which was the distinctive title of the ten tribes under their own king for the tribe of levi because it was the priestly one bound to the servitude of god not of the kings was reckoned the thirteenth for Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Israel, did not like the others form one tribe, but two, Ephraim and Manasseh. Yet the tribe of Levi also belonged more to the kingdom of Jerusalem, where was the temple of God whom it served. On the division of the people, therefore, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, reigned in Jerusalem as the first king of Judah, and Jeroboam, servant of Solomon, in Samaria as king of Israel. And when Rehoboam wished as a tyrant to pursue that separated part with war, the people were prohibited from fighting with their brethren by God, who told them through a prophet that he had done this, whence it appeared that in this matter there had been no sin either of the king or people of Israel, but the accomplished will of God the avenger. When this was known, both parts settled down peaceably, for the division made was not religious, but political. CHAPTER Twenty Two. But Jeroboam, king of Israel, with perverse mind, not believing in God, whom he had proved true, in promising and giving him the kingdom, was afraid, lest by coming to the temple of God which was in Jerusalem, where, according to the divine law, that whole nation was to come in order to sacrifice, the people should be seduced from him, and return to David's line as the seed royal, and set up idolatry in his kingdom, and with horrible impiety beguiled the people, ensnaring them to the worship of idols with himself. Yet God did not altogether cease to reprove by the prophets not only that king, but also his successors and imitators in his impiety, and the people too. For there the great and illustrious prophet Elijah and Elisha, his disciple, arose, who also did many wonderful works. Even there, when Elijah said, O Lord, they have slain thy prophets, they have digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life, 
it was answered that seven thousand men were there who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Chapter 23 So also in the kingdom of Judah pertaining to Jerusalem prophets were not lacking even in the times of succeeding kings, just as it pleased God to send them, either for the prediction of what was needful, or for correction of sin and instruction in righteousness, for there too, although far less than in Israel, kings arose who grievously offended God by their impieties, and, along with their people, who were like them, were smitten with moderate scourges. The no small merits of the pious kings there are praised indeed. But we read that in Israel the kings were, some more, others less, yet all, wicked. Each part, therefore, as the divine providence either ordered or permitted, was both lifted up by prosperity and weighed down by adversity of various kinds, and it was afflicted not only by foreign, but also by civil wars with each other, in order that by certain existing causes the mercy or anger of God might be manifested, until, by his growing indignation, that whole nation was by the conquering Chaldeans not only overthrown in its abode, but also for the most part transported to the lands of the Assyrians, first that part of the thirteen tribes called Israel, but afterwards Judah also, when Jerusalem and that most noble temple was cast down, in which lands it rested seventy years in captivity. Being after that time sent forth thence, they rebuilt the overthrown temple. And although very many stayed in the lands of the strangers, yet the kingdom no longer had two separate parts, with different kings over each, but in Jerusalem there was one prince over them, and at certain times, from every direction, wherever they were, and from whatever place they could, they all came to the temple of God which was there. Yet not even then were they without foreign enemies and conquerors, yea, Christ found them tributaries of the Romans. Chapter 24 but in that whole time after they returned from Babylon, after Malachi, Haggai, and Zechariah, who then prophesied, and Ezra, they had no prophets down to the time of the Saviour's advent, except another Zechariah, the father of John, and Elizabeth his wife, when the nativity of Christ was already close at hand. And when he was already born, Simeon the aged, and Anna a widow, and now very old, and, last of all, John himself, who, being a young man, did not predict that Christ, now a young man, was to come, but by prophetic knowledge pointed him out, although unknown. For which reason the Lord himself says, The law and the prophets were until John. But the prophesying of these five is made known to us in the gospel, where the virgin mother of our Lord herself is also found to have prophesied before John. But this prophecy of theirs the wicked Jews do not receive, but those innumerable persons received it, who from them believed the gospel. For then truly Israel was divided in two, by that division which was foretold by Samuel the prophet to King Saul as immutable. But even the reprobate Jews hold Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah, and Ezra as the last received into canonical authority. For there are also writings of these, as of others, who, being but a very few in the great multitude of prophets, have written those books which have obtained canonical authority, of whose predictions it seems good to me to put in this work some which pertain to Christ and his church, and this, by the Lord's help, shall be done more conveniently in the following book, that we may not further burden this one, which is already too long. End of Book 17, Chapters 17 through 24. 
Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.